0: This is Financially Fit with Coach Hill, the podcast where you learn to train your money like a pro athlete trains for success. I'm Coach Hill, financial education coach and money coach to the NFL. I've taken everything I've learned over the last 10 years coaching pro athletes and turned it into a financial fitness program so you can master your money and train it like a pro athlete trains for success. Today I have with me Eve Batoba. Did I say that right, Eve? That is correct, yes. There we go. <laughs> uh, Eve and I met in 2018 in Miami. We were working with the Dolphins, and we both discovered we have a serious passion, as I hit my microphone, for helping and developing athletes off the field. Uh, Eve was the player engagement coordinator for the Miami Dolphins and currently acts for a consultant for an NFL player development. He's a professional speaker. He's an author of the book, Immigrant American, Living an American Life with a with an African Perspective. And then Against All Odds... You've made it to the US as a young boy and has run through the American dream in an incredible way. So I am so excited to talk about your journey, money, business of sports, and then working together in the NFL. So thank you for being here.
1: Come on. You already know I couldn't I couldn't miss this. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I love it.
0: Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm really excited because we've always been on the same vibe with development, mindset, all of those things. But I think a lot of that stems from where you came from. And I would love for you to share your story about growing up as a young boy in the Congo and then coming over to the U.S.
1: Yeah. So I was born in a country called Zaire, which is now known as the Democratic Republic of Congo. But I always say I was born in a country that no longer exists. Kind of. There was a huge uh, war that broke out between Congolese people, as well as people from Rwanda. And it turned into this whole ordeal where to make a long story short, my family and I had to escape Congo because it was a very, very good chance that we would die if we didn't escape Congo. In fact, there was um, one night whenever we were all sleeping underneath tables and about Two feet away from my older sister, there was a bullet that landed like, just from the top of the of the roof, and I think that was the night that we decided that we were going to actually flee the country, and we had to walk miles and miles and miles till we got to a refugee place, and from there we were able to leave and go down to South Africa. So you talk about post-apartheid South Africa. Nelson Mandela was president, but there was still a lot of racial tension in the air. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of all this, you know, we don't have any friends because we live in an area that was really it was. Actually actually really white. We lived in a really white area. My, um, you know, the, the, the black folks didn't really like us either because we weren't South African. Mm-hmm. The white folks didn't really like us because we were black. So after about seven months of living in South Africa and having a horrible experience where my little brother was getting death threats, he was less than one years old. My mom had gotten uh, robbed and uh, she had gotten beat and we were getting abused at school and we were just like, yo, we can't handle any of this. We had an uncle that lived in the U.S. So we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina um, before eventually getting to the great country of Texas, as I like to call it, <laughs> where, we had, uh, where we had my uncle over here. And that's where I grew up.
0: Okay. And I mean, that in and of itself is a lot to digest because that... Yeah. <laughs> you were so young. When did you actually hit the States? What age were you when you physically got into the US?
1: Yeah. So second grade, seven years old.
0: Yeah. That's a lot to go through before seven. I can't even imagine. So you came to the US truly seeking the American dream.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And that had to shape a lot of the ways that you think about money. So how do you think growing up in what is now the Democratic Republic of Congo, how did that shape your views on the American dream and money and how that plays a role in our lives?
1: Yeah. You know, whenever you're so young, you don't you don't think about it as much, right? Because I came to this country, I didn't speak the language, right? I wasn't even fluent in English until I was nine years old. So two years there. And then, you know, you're getting bullied because you don't speak the language. You can't defend yourself. So I took a lot of people uh, physically, like I took my anger out physically and I got in a lot of fights growing up. But what was so interesting is a lot of my anger really stemmed from just a different type of life. Whenever we lived in Congo, it's not uncommon to see people who are well off have like people that work for them within the household. Yeah. So we had somebody that drove us. We had somebody that cleaned. We had somebody that cooked. We had somebody that like, you just, just, we, we were very, very well taken care of. And one thing about uh, Congo now is you have like people who either have money or they don't. There's no middle class, right? And I think that's pretty consistent across the 53 countries in Africa. So you see that, uh, you know, pretty often. Mm-hmm. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that my family was pretty well off. All right, we got to this country. um, We lived in the inner city, and then from the inner city, we moved to the suburbs. Where you know, I go from being in a very diverse area to you know being the only black kid at school at Keller, uh, Keller, Texas. And then you know, I went to college in a in a country town, right? Oklahoma State. I've been exposed (laughs) to all kinds of different uh, backgrounds, and I think the biggest thing um, you know that I learned about money is you really. It's not everything, but whenever you don't have it, it absolutely is everything. And what I mean by that is in middle school, my parents lost everything. Right. So my dad came here. He had a successful uh, trucking business. And he grew the trucking business out just as an entrepreneur because all he knew was transporta- transportation. He was a successful executive at a company in Congo called Lonatra. And while he was there, you know, he was uh, the youngest executive at the company. And whenever he came over here, he's like, okay, I know transportation. I'm going to build this thing out. DBM trucking was the name of the business. But then whenever 2008 happened, the recession Thank and you. all that, everything just kind of went downhill. Now, You don't have anything anymore. It's a different life that I was accustomed to. You know, my older siblings, they were born whenever my parents didn't have as much. I wasn't born in that era. So whenever they lose everything, you're thinking about money all the time. And you're always thinking about, okay, what can I do? What can I do? I have to ask to go to the movies. Okay, you know what? Y'all go to the movies. Maybe I can get somebody's parents to pay for me to go to you know, like it was always things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's the rap lyric, having money is not everything, but not having it is. So I got to see both sides of it until, you know, my parents got rich again, <laughs> as like I say, you know, got rich, went broke, got rich again. So it was uh, one of those situations where I got to see the full, the full circle. Of it.
0: I went through the same thing growing up, you know, had a lot of money then my mom got sick and then we had no money. And then you kind yeah. of, you go through a different mindset shift. And then once you realize the the value of money as a tool, then you want to have it so that you can experience things in a different way. So it makes us appreciate money more, right?
1: Yeah, no, it definitely makes you appreciate money more.
0: Yeah, but it also makes it so that you're not looking at it as so much of a commodity, but as as a value add. And I think that what you went through and how you went from having a lot to having nothing, to now where you are today, which I want to get into, because a lot of people are so interested in how the sports world works and the business of sports and the money of sports. Yeah. And your sports journey really started, I would say, all the way back in middle school. But let's fast forward it to college. You went mm-hmm. to the other OSU. Mm.
1: Come on now. Hey, what? The best black and orange OSU in the country. Maybe. Let's get it right.
0: We're in the country, too, and we're black and orange.
1: Yeah, but you're not the best one is what I'm saying.
0: Oh, 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 beg to differ. And we've we've had this (laughs) debate for five years. It's never going to end. But you had a really good experience at Oklahoma State. You go back and speak uh, to the players and to the athletic department. But also, um, it kind of shaped your progression in sports. Tell me a little about that and what that led to and how you landed in the Dolphins facility.
1: Yeah. You know, at at one point I just started looking at my teammates and thinking to myself, man, why is it that so many of them are majoring in similar things and they all think that they have to go and become a teacher or a coach? Um, not that those things aren't important, but it was just I was like something something's off here, right? Like there's there's a better way that you can leverage your student athlete identity, your college experience and to propel yourself through relationships with alumni and everything else. So while I was in college, I ended up becoming president of what's called the Student Athlete Advisory Committee um, and eventually became uh, the Big 12 rep for the, the National Student Athlete Advisory Committee. So it was cool for me to get exposure to, you know, I, I was traveling to Indianapolis, to San Diego, to Orlando, and speaking on behalf of student athletes in the Big 12 Conference, right? Awesome. And what was so cool about that is I got exposed to so many different types of student athletes. I mean, you got Chris Conley, who I believe is still playing in the NFL now, and he was a guy who, oh, not only was he extremely brilliant, but he also directed a, a Star Wars short film at UGA's campus, that ended up getting featured on ESPN and and won some awards. And he played the piano and he was he was so like articulate whenever it came to politics. And I'm just like, who is this guy? Right. So these are the caliber of student athletes that I was exposed to with that at, at that uh, period in my life. And I remember just thinking to myself. OK, like there's more that I can do as part of uh, an athletic department. So I went back to campus and I started pushing for all these different initiatives, all these different programs, whether it was career preparation or if it was um, financial literacy programs, if it was community engagement. So doing all that, I got to develop a lot of great relationships across the conference. One of those relationships led to uh, an introduction to somebody at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, so I got to Notre Dame working in an area called student welfare and development, which focused on leadership development. Community outreach as well as career preparation for all 700 plus of the student athletes at Notre Dame uh, did that for a year. Absolutely loved it. And then while doing that, again because of a relationship, the senior associate athletic director talked to a guy named Caleb Thornhill down at the Miami Dolphins. And uh, on my birthday, Caleb hired me. He didn't even know it was my birthday, but I drove three hours to go to East Lansing, Michigan. Met him at Michigan State's campus, and uh, he hired me uh, that day. And Uh, Two weeks later, I was driving down. I put everything in my Volkswagen at the time, drove 19 hours to South Florida. and, And that's how I got there.
0: Man, Caleb Thornhill, that's a that's a super connector, powerhouse human being, if I do have to say so myself, because he's the reason we met.
1: Yeah, look, no doubt about it. And 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 whenever I got to the Miami Dolphins, you talk about you know, like all the different programming that we did for the rookies. Amazing.
0: Like amazing, it
1: was the first time that I was exposed to really financial literacy. So I'm over there every time that we brought in somebody to talk about credit. Every time we talk, brought in somebody to talk about budgeting or whatever is wealth creation. Investing. I'm sitting in the back of the room with my pen and my pad. I'm taking as many notes as I possibly could. I mean, from that day, I think it was in 2015, I was like, oh, a credit score really is important, right? Like it took until last year, I just hit 800. I just hit the 800 mark in my credit score. Yes, and that'd been my goal for, for several years, you know, but understanding the importance of how do you leverage credit and how to budget appropriately, all of that was so imperative in my development whenever I got the job at 24 years old.
0: I think, uh, do you remember that time when Cam Wake was so into our presentation that he came down and stole the pen from me and was like up there lecturing the guys? And um, that was the moment I knew I made it. That was the moment I was like, okay, (laughs) I think I I could check this off my box because the rookies are sitting there, like it was that lean in moment. And Cam goes, oh, I gotta get in on this. And you and KT are in the back. And I was like, I think we did it. I think we got there. I think they understand the power of financial freedom. And then Cam started. I was like, "You just want to take over? I don't need to teach today. You go ahead." And he goes, "I got this, Hill. I got this. I've been doing this long enough." Yeah,
1: he he went up there. He brought up the example about the the nest egg, right? Hey, whatever you would do, don't don't kill your chicken. You want to make sure that the chicken is always producing the eggs, right? So you know, talking about yeah, just all, all that. Like Cam is the man. And I remember whenever we brought you in, there were so many other people we stopped bringing in because we said, "Oh." That's that's the best financial educator that we've ever seen. So from that day forward, we're just like, oh yeah, Hillary's got to come in every single year. And, there, and I was year. there
0: every single month, <laughs> it felt like yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. And it exactly. was
0: cool because we had the vets get into it. Like they'd seen all the stuff, but when the vets came in and said things like, "Yo, Hill, I got a nugget today," like that, I know I know yeah. budgeting, but like I got a nugget today. That's when you know that they're going back into their communities and they're making an impact. And yes. One of the things I thought was so wonderful about what you and Caleb did, which a lot of people really don't know what we do in the facilities um, and they don't know how it works and that's fine. But what was so different about Miami than anywhere else that I work was that you and Caleb would be in the room in one-on-ones every time. And we would do it every time I was there. And the guys were just, it was that lean in. They were there. They were here for it. They showed up. The impact we made on those guys in that three-year period Probably the heaviest impact I've made across the NFL by far. And that is attributed to what you and Caleb built because you saw the value in mindset and money and being able to help these guys get every tool along the way for success. Yeah. Now, we had some issues like a $12,000 Uber bill and a, and a horse and some other things.
1: <laughs> way too many designer clothes. I will say that too. I mean, cool. the
0: Louis bags, the Louis bags. But you know what? If you gave me a million dollars at 22, I probably would have done stupid stuff too.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, if you're 22 years old, not only are you 22 years old, but a lot of people know who you are. Not only that, but you're also living in Miami, freaking Florida. Right. right. You it's take- like Chicago, Miami,
0: L.A., you're screwed. New York. Oh, my God.
1: Las Vegas now, maybe. And, and, and I say, if you don't have a real core identity, a good foundation of who you are, it is so easy for other people to define that for you. That's probably one of the most important things that you can do whenever it comes to your money, money mindset is actually know who you are first. Right. Whether that means taking personality assessments, just sitting down and writing out your core values, whatever that means for you, that'll actually determine what you do to your money, right? Like you get to send out your money in hopes that your money can actually come back to you, yes. uh, you know, it, it, and make a profit. So yeah. like, but a huge, huge piece of that is actually understanding yourself and your personal identity.
0: And I think a lot of people lose that when they talk about money, they think that money is this thing that oh, it's almost fear based. Like I got to get rid of it. I got to put it here. I got to do it. There's no take a breath. Yeah. Let it marinate and make smart strategic choices. And that's yeah. what we teach. It's hard. It's not this easy concept that you get overnight. I mean, you're you just told me, hey, I just hit an eight hundred credit score and I know you've been working on it, which by the way, congratulations, because yeah, most good. people never even get to that. And
1: Yeah. No, look what what you said about it being fear based oh. was so true for the majority of the athletes that we would run into. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, if you don't know, if you don't understand cash flow, it's easy to just lose everything. But whenever you know, grandma's telling you your whole life, hey, don't ever get a credit card. Yeah, because it it'll ruin your life. No, okay, some she did something wrong along the way. Well, instead of saying okay, don't get a credit card because it'll rule in your life. You should be asking yourself, okay, how is it that I can use a credit card to make sure that I'm generating wealth, right? Oh, oh, make sure that you always, all your money got to go into your savings account. Don't put it anywhere else, just your savings. No, no, you don't want to max out your 401k. You want to make sure that you got cash. No, no, no. All of that is very, very much fear-based. So we don't want to live out of fear, but we want to live in a place of, okay, how is it that I can acquire more knowledge so that I'm making the proper decisions with this money?
0: Right. It's all about a prosperity mentality. And- yeah. At the end of the day, we can have all the tools in the world, but if we can't get past our own selves, like you were saying, know yourself, that's the hardest part about money. And sports and money, when you throw those two together, which is in and of itself very public. I mean, I can walk into a rookie class and the first thing I do is I pull all their signing bonuses off of Sportsnet or whatever it is. And I say, you, you made this much, you, you made this much. And I open with that a lot of the time. Sometimes it don't depends on the rookie class, but because everybody knows what they make. And oh, yeah. then it becomes a battle of all the people around them wanting what they have. And I think yeah. sports and money being that it is so public, it's also very difficult to deal with. So you have gone into the consulting side now and you're helping a lot of player de- players develop off the field, but you're also doing a lot around just counseling the financial wellness of up and coming NCAA athletes. Yeah, What would you say is the biggest, I would say hurdle When it comes to money in sports, is it knowledge? Is it pressure? What are you seeing right now?
1: Yeah, uh, both. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) knowledge and pressure, right? I think that whenever, like one, you got to know how, like, you have to know what's going out and what's coming in. I think that's number one. Like, there has to be a way that you can actually track that, okay? But I think after that, it's, okay, everybody needs my help. Is how you feel. Right. So because everybody needs my help, all this money that's coming in, I got to make sure that I'm sending it back home or I'm sending it to my friend who's been with me since growing up. Or I'm sending it to my uncle who's guilt tripping me because he used to drive me to practice whenever I was, you know, 12 years old. Yeah. Right. So it's about understanding a, how is it that I can set these boundaries, letting people know, Oh, if you do have a good idea, well, send me a business proposal, which 90% of the time they're not actually going to send you a business proposal, but Being able, like whenever you get that information and you're able to get the education and financial literacy, how is it that I can relay that message to people who I actually want to help? I remember there was a time we had a rookie and he won Miami sharing the story. His name was uh, Isaac Asiata. And Isaac was uh, a draft pick at the Miami Dolphins University of Utah offensive lineman. And I remember one day he was just so stressed out thinking to himself, man, okay, the season's about to end. I know that you know we, we're not going to get money we're not going to get checks during the off season and a lot of people are going to ask me for for money and it's stressing me out right now so he and I we actually sat down we created a budget sheet not for him but for his family and for his friends yeah. and we said okay for every single person that uh, wants to ask you for something. Make sure that they understand their own personal finances first. Give them this budget sheet. I printed out like ten copies for him. Mm-hmm. I was like, just give this to them and make sure that they fill this out, so that they have a good understanding of themselves and figure out, okay, what is it that I can be cutting out, and how is it that I can supplement? Because he has a heart for that; he truly wants to give to people. So, how can I supplement versus just completely taking care of you? So the. F- it's a couple months go by in the off season and he sends me a text message and it was one of the budget seats on the uh, budget sheets on the fridge of one of his friends' houses and the text message says hey if it wasn't for that conversation that we had like this would have never happened this would not have been possible I just want to let you know how appreciative I am of you like that's how you make a difference right there because you're not only empowering these athletes but you're helping these athletes empower other people and that's how I look at money now it's not so much about how much I can get what I can accumulate but it's about hey what is it that I can give and how is it that I can use this generosity to empower other people as well? And I think that's a great goal for athletes to have.
0: I like the word empower. Yeah. Because you don't have to have a lot of money to empower people to be better with money. You don't. Absolutely. And shout out Isaac Asiata. He was my rookie class with the Dolphins. Um, He was a vet. I remember him and his wife. Oh my gosh, they are wonderful people. And to watch the progression of what they've been able to accomplish together and they are generous. They do have big hearts. They want to help, and that's—I mean—that's part of the battle—is—is is finding that balance. So sports yeah. can really, people don't realize just how public everything is, and when it is that public, it's hard to be the person that everyone comes to that has to. Oh, pay
1: absolutely. Them. And, and that's why we, we we made it a point to, you know, during the off season, we had what was called the parent premiere. We would bring in the parents mm-hmm. and talk to them about certain things. You know, we talked about nutrition, but money was a huge focus point. Uh, we, we we had in the credit guy that would come and talk to the parents because oftentimes it was the parents i'd given them all these uh, sc- scary stories about finances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would with you whenever you would come in, you would have the one on ones. If any time we could bring a significant other. Oh. Yes, let's all sit down. Let's all sit in together and let's talk about your. Your um, your net worth, like for the first time, guys were calculating the net worth so that they had a good understanding. I'm like, I never thought about calculating my net worth until I was actually in one of those rooms. I remember you were sitting down with Chase. Yep, uh, what was his name? You were sitting down with Chase, and, and you actually um, were able to fig- help him figure out how to calculate his net worth. Later that night, I went home and I calculated my net worth. Right? Because that's it's pivotal. Get it's on. pivotal. So including the other people that they care about uh, was key. Absolutely key.
0: Well, I think that's all. And, and we, this is something I wanted to touch on because you are a couple goals. Um, you and your wife are – she's just a, literally just a beautiful soul. Um, marriage is hard. It is not easy. Yeah. Then add money. If you don't have good communication skills – and this, this goes outside the realm of athletes. This is everybody. We all struggle with this. But one of the things that I so appreciated when we were working together and you know, prior to COVID where I actually got to see you – go COVID, Um, (laughs) you and Don would sit down and talk about your budget and you guys would set things together. It was a joint effort. It was a team effort. And I think people forget that. They get so caught up in the mind, mind, mind and the fear that they don't communicate with their spouse about those struggles. And the moment that you open up and you say, we can't spend $20 a month on Starbucks anymore. We have this much we can spend, but we got to cut 20 out or we can't go to happy hour every week. Now I'm just using examples. These are random ones. Right. To be able to say that to your spouse and communicate it, we saw how well that worked with our players, whether it was a girlfriend or a wife, just helping each other be accountable was a big thing. Now you are married and have your first little one and she's perfect. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How has that, how has your money game shifted since you've gone through those steps over the last three years?
1: Well, well, let me tell you, one of the biggest things was even before we ever got married, one thing that we were very intentional about was spending time with couples that were 30, 40, 50 years older than us and asking them very intentional questions. And money was one of those things. So we started talking about money early. And I remember asking my wife, Hey, how much debt do you have? That made her very uncomfortable. Like <laughs> it made her uncomfortable because nobody asked her this question before. Right. So I remember the day after we got engaged. I remember I said, okay, like, give me all your credit, all your credit cards. And I, I paid it off for her. This was the day after we got engaged. We weren't even married yet. So I just paid off her credit cards. And I said, all right, the student loans, you got to attack that. Right. I, I took care of the other stuff. And then, you know, after we got married, I ended up buying her a car and, you know, th- things worked out really well. Now she... Fast forward from then until now, what has taken place was we would have what we called Money Mondays. So she used to dread Money Mondays because she felt like it was so restricting. Oh my God, I can't do this anymore. But actually it was very liberating whenever you can find out, okay, well, maybe instead of $140 at Starbucks, it can, she ended up like, she actually stopped drinking coffee for a season, right? (laughs) which was really interesting. She's back to drinking coffee now, but it's fine because we're in a different place in our life. Um, Last season, or sorry, last year, I remember at the beginning of the year she got pregnant Mm -hmm. and I kind of put the pressure on myself to say, I would love if Dawn didn't have to also worry about work while she was uh, you know, pregnant and trying to take care of a baby. Yeah. So I kind of gave myself a goal to make a certain amount. I had a number. It was the first time in my life that I actually had a number that I said, hey, this is a big number and I want to hit this number. And I ended up surpassing that number. Like, But like, it's, it's crazy how whenever you decide that I'm actually going to focus on this thing oh, yeah. and you do the research and you monetize your social media and you... I had 16 speaking engagements and I was just like, wow, I was I was doing a lot of Zoom speaking engagements as well as in person. I was traveling all over the country, Boston to to Portland, Oregon. Right. Right. As, as well as, you know, multi- different job opportunities. So all these things start happening. And then at the beginning of this year, we shifted that from, okay, now that we know how much we can generate, I no longer want to have uh, an income goal or more so a generosity goal. Cause I think honestly, that's where you want to get to with money. Yes. Hey, the people that I care about, the causes that I care about, the things that I care about, how is it that I can, um, uh, provide resources to those people and things. So in 2023, we are just, we shifted our mindset to, okay, instead of earning, let's focus it on giving. So the more that you earn in turn, the more that you can actually give, but it's just shifting it to a different purpose. Right. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it's been it's been nothing short of a dream. As of right now, she's still not working. She's at home. She's with our little one, Zola. Zola Ray Batova is her name. Oh. And um, yeah, it's and been, I love all her it,
0: pictures. I totally stalk you guys. I'm like, oh, I love her. She's so perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's she's the best. She sleeps 12 hours a night right now. Which uh, take it shit, a lot of prayer.
0: Take a it a lot of prayer. And I mean, I'm right. We've been. Friends, a long time. We have a lot of guys in the league, and I feel like I'm auntie to all the the little ones running around because I'm like, oh gosh, I want to go see them. I want to go see them. But it's um it's beautiful to watch the journey, to be able to to watch my friends go through these wonderful things, and to watch you elevate every aspect of your life. And that
1: yeah, that's I mean, what you're doing. Uh, yeah, so I mean, if I can even cut you off, you talk about the journey because of your sessions and uh, learning about the power of a credit score as well as just leveraging your points. I remember I was able to, so what I did was I opened up a credit card right before I purchased her engagement ring Yep. because they said, Hey, if you spend a certain amount, you get a bonus, like 60,000 points, whatever it was. So, you know, I spent that amount in two weeks because I had to get a, her, her, uh, her ring paid it off. And then after that, it was, it was a, it was a travel card, right? So for every hotel transaction, food transaction, Uber transaction, you got three times the points. So what I did was we had our wedding at a hotel. So everybody that was coming in, I was like, Hey, I'll pay for it. And then you just reimbursement. So I put everything on the credit card because it was at a, at a hotel venue. I got all those points as well. And then, uh, our honeymoon was free. So we were able to use those points to travel to Europe. So we went to uh, Barcelona, we went to Germany and we went to France, right? So we did all of that for free and came back. All because we had the education with, with the credit card points.
0: And you understood how to leverage credit the right way because credit can be leveraged for free vacations. You went on a free honeymoon to Europe and went to three countries. That in and of itself shows people that you can do it the right way. And you didn't pay any interest on your credit card. I know you didn't because you know better. And you paid it off in full and you took those points and off you went. And I think a lot of people are afraid of what they don't know, but they're also fearful because they don't have discipline and it requires discipline. But that's part of the learning journey. That's part of going through the process and learning how it works. And your journey wasn't a fast one. We're talking 2015. It's now 2023. It took a while, but you did the work. And I think that's the key piece that people forget is you have to do the work. And it's an everyday piece. It's a, it's a routine. You hear me say it, it's financial fitness. You got to have a routine. You got to do the workouts every week. You can't just show up for 45 minutes once a month, sit down with me and go, oh, I got all this. You actually have to go back and do it. And that's the key piece that financial fitness is. And I think it's something that you've now mastered, which is why I loved talking to you today. So before we wrap up, I want to get from you what your number one financial fitness routine or best practice is that you personally do that you live by.
1: Yeah, I would say that in 2018, I read a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. It's, I reread it every year. Right. In this book, he talks about the difference between having goals and having systems and systems are things that are just automatic. Right. Like instead of saying, hey, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to work out tomorrow. It's going to sleep in your workout clothes and putting your shoes right next to your bed so that you wake up in the morning and you put them on. And now you it's a behavior hack. Uh, one of the greatest things that I've done um, as of late is just automizing, uh, or I guess, uh, automating a whole bunch of my finances. So uh Ramit had a book called, I will teach you to be rich. And yeah. he talks about just the importance of automating your finances. So whenever a check comes in, it automatically goes into a savings account, for example. Yeah. Or being able to say like, hey, 50% of this money is just automatically gonna go into an investment account. So I don't have to think about it. Cause the more that I leave it up to myself, <laughs> the more likely I am to actually screw something up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go and I'll double check and I'll make sure that things are going in the right place. But I want it to be as automatic as possible. So that I'm not, you know, every day just checking and making sure, Okay, where this go? So the more that I actually systematized everything, um, the better that it's been for us, um, the better that it's been for, you know, for for our child and hopefully our future children. And uh, it's something that I honestly would recommend to everybody. I'm talking about bills coming out so that you never have any late bills. And honestly, if it wasn't for implementing that, I don't know if I would have gotten to that 800 credit score um, that I talked about earlier.
0: Yeah. And it's because you have found a system that works for you. Just like budgeting, some people need down to the penny. Some people need like our friend, Christian Wilkins, who lets, he's talked about it on my show before. He He uses the system. He just throws the money in buckets and automates the process. Very similar to what you're doing. I think that's a great practice. And I think it's something everybody should be able to do and everyone can do. And it's simple. It's not once it's set up, it's done. So it's doing the work up front and then just letting it roll. Uh, Yeah, there are levels to it. Right. And last thing, I want everyone to go check out Eve's book. I have read it. It is mind-blowingly incredible. Um, What inspired you? Let's leave us with something that's inspiring and close to your heart. What inspired you to write Immigrant American?
1: Yeah, I have a heart for athletes, athletes. And I have a heart for immigrants. Uh, you know, my my story was, you know, we came to this country, didn't understand the language. My dad built a business. The business failed. He had to go back to Africa in order to provide for our family. Uh, it's a huge part of shaping us into who we became. You know, now my... Uh, my older brother just bought a house out in the Hollywood Hills and he's killing it out there. And he has a, a, a business out there that he just built and he's looking for multiple locations now. And all of the kids have college degrees and um you know, we have several entrepreneurs in the company and you just look at that and you're just like, how did we get here? Um, I love being able to tell that story of how we got here, not just from a money standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, you know, all the different things that we went through. I mean, one of the things that I talk about in the book is how my neighbor, whenever I lived in Kinshasa, she did witchcraft. She practiced witchcraft and that was a very real thing that you experience in other parts of the world. And you come over here, you're just very in tune uh, spiritually. So, um, being able to tell that story uh, really sparked because of a friend of mine who came up to me one day and he said, Hey, my wife and I, Kelsey, we just decided you're probably the best storyteller that we know. And he planted a seed, like just him saying that. And I I told him after the book release, I was like, Hey, you know what? You actually were the seed that was planted to actually, you know, release this thing. Um, So, With that being said, never be stingy with your words. You never know how your words are actually going to inspire somebody else. So I was able to take those words, put it in the form of a book. I learned so much about myself from being able to interview my actual family members. Um, And yeah, honestly, I would encourage every single person to write a book because it's amazing how therapeutic the whole process is.
0: Oh, I love that. And I'm going to link Eve's book right down here. Grab it. Whatever you are doing, take a couple hours, read his book. It is It's going to inspire you to continue to pursue your dreams. And I think a lot of us get stuck in the day-to-day and we get stressed about the things in our lives. And sometimes it's nice to get a perspective of someone who didn't have it easy and had to figure out how to escape life and death and then came here into the U.S. and turned it around completely and now impacts hundreds of lives across the NFL every single day. He's impacted mine. I hope he impacts yours. Eve, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you.
1: Hey, that's what this is all for. How is it that we can live for each other? Thank you, Hillary. I loved being on here.
0: See you soon. If you're ready to fast track your money training, go to financiallyfitpodcast.com and grab my 12-week financial fitness routine. Let's get financially fit with Coach Hill.